Gloria L. Williams, also known as the Foot Nanny, has long tended to the toes of Oprah Winfrey. In early June, when the two finally reunited for a pedicure after a long pandemic pause, the superstar took to Instagram to express her delight. Winfrey's post quickly went viral with almost 2 million views and gave Williams and her Foot Nanny brand of lotions and scrubs a massive boost. The post not only highlighted Williams' massage skills, but also her newest product line, the paraben-free, cruelty-free olive oil collection. She said, I love olive oil, and it's amazing for our skin. I'm also a true olive martini lover, whose foot-centric products come in a host of scents, including the popular lavender, peppermint, and rose and lime. So you might ask yourself, why am I talking about this right now? Well, the kind folks over at Foot Nanny were kind enough to send over a sample uh, package for us. And my wife was delighted by this. We had the lotion, the foot scrub, and this massage ball, and, and a pair of socks, actually. And so rubbed my wife's feet with the lotion for a little while, um, actually scrubbed them down first, and then rubbed her feet with the lotion, put on the socks, and this little ball that they sent that has these spikes on the end of it. We just rolled it around for a little while on her feet, and her feet to her, what she said, uh, they felt amazing the next day and at the time, and she absolutely loved it. So this is definitely something that we will be getting again, and really thankful to the people over at Foot Nanny for sending it over. Um, you can find Foot Nanny products online at footnanny.com, and also at Williams Private Spa um, in Beverly Hills. Hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the following films podcast. Today, my guest is Harry Greenberger, the director and writer behind Hereafter. The film is a dark fantasy comedy about searching for love in the afterlife and acts as something of a Rorschach test. Depending on how you feel about love, death, and well, existential dread, it'll greatly impact how you react to this film. It would be easy to dismiss or just see the film as a simple rom-com, but I genuinely feel this film has more on its mind. I highly recommend you check it out this Friday on July 23rd when it will be available on VOD everywhere. Big thanks to Bookmans for sponsoring the show, Foot Nanny for helping me rub my wife's feet, and to Fort Worth for the closing song. Hope you enjoy the show. Um, Ryan Adams gave me that guitar. Do you know who he is? Yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Ryan Adams uh, said he wrote the Cold Roses album on that guitar. I used to work with Ryan and Jesse. I played a show with Phil. Um, I worked with Rat Dog. Yeah. We, oh, my I God. The, wow. I saw the Dead with Jerry like 16 times. You might be younger than me, so you probably ha- didn't get the chance to see the Jerry era. But in high school, it was um, I was in high school in the early 90s. So I actually it was right then. It was like right mm-hmm. at the tail end Good of time. that. And Thing opened up i think was the i think that was uh, it was in philadelphia so yeah, uh, one I show saw, i saw him with i saw staying opening for the dead at rfk stadium in um in washington dc and uh so yeah we probably saw like one show right before or after each other you know that's crazy look at that yeah small world very cool yeah. jerry um, came out and did a song with him i think if i remember right yeah 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 absolutely um, well, thank you for taking the time to talk about the film there. I really appreciate it. I literally finished your movie about six minutes ago. Um, and it's, it's something that it, it's kind of a pre COVID thing 
We're mm-hmm. having a chance to talk to the director immediately post-screening where it's <laughs> you know, for a Q&A afterwards. Rarely these days I get to actually talk to somebody right immediately after seeing something. So kind of a <laughs> cool experience today. Yeah, one-on-one Q&A right after the screening, right? Yeah. <laughs> Although I, I've been to Q&As that um, were pretty small, never one-on-one, but there, yeah. there were <laughs> just a handful where there weren't that many in attendance. Yeah, uh, one Q, one A, and then it's all done. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. It's the it's like you know it's more of a consoling than a Q and A. It's like no, it's really good. People are going to figure this out. Don't worry yeah, about yeah. it. It's 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 just this town. Yeah. It sucks. Uh, the next show, there I swear someone will be here. I'll wait. Yeah, I've had so, screenings like that too in my life, so I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, it happens. And um, could you talk a little bit about the um, the opening of the film because mm-hmm. it's a it's a pretty bold way that you start the film where you the words that he's speaking they're almost poetic but Mm -hmm. the juxtaposition of that and what he's saying is actually it's fairly empty in a lot of ways so there's a beauty to what he's saying but the substance is doesn't match the words and it's very sad because this is a man literally on his deathbed it's fairly what did you say though it's fairly uh, it's empty it's empty because we have this idea of what the when we're on our deathbed what'll be the thing that flashes before our eyes mm-hmm. and you see this is the thing that's flashing before this man's eyes and that's while he's saying it very beautifully and it's performed very well it's like god damn i hope that's not the thing that's on my deathbed that's the <laughs> that's my final call could you talk a little about about starting on that beat was that the idea of what you were going for or am i completely misreading that <laughs> well that is what i was going for and i also thought um uh at the time, I always thought like I, I, I have a love for scenes that uh, what's going on isn't necessarily what's being said in the scene or what's uh, yeah. um, and where the audience hopefully uh, has a moment of feeling that they have to catch up or try to figure things out and, and that there's several layers at once. And I felt like having him, you know, on his deathbed or on the stretcher uh, and that that's where his mind is going, uh, you know, that made sense to me in that also when you know you you see a moment later that it's in incorrect response to what he's just been asked um that his mind just wanders because he's been sort of like permanently concussed by uh by the accident he's been in and so uh i think like what i was going for was that that it's you know like it's sort of i pictured that if you were sort of almost talking nonsense from the outsider's perspective on your deathbed but what would be going on inside like that thing where we've seen where people say something perplexingly inappropriate um, at a moment like that, when they've, you know, when they've just been hurt or when they, you know, are about to die. Sometimes it seems like the things that come out of them aren't, it's as if they're already one foot in another place. And, uh, and I was kind of going for that. And then there is sort of the explanation for uh, you know, why, you know, if he's asked what happened, and that's what his mind goes to. That wasn't what the intention of the question was, but that was, that's what his mind goes to. And it's supposed to sort of reveal a bit about him as a human being at that point and where he's, you know, he's coming away from a breakup. So his mind is on all of the, you know, torturously bad relationships he's had before that. And sort of where does it all start and where, you know, what made him the kind of person he was. And, that, you know, I like the idea that it goes back to a formative experience and a you know something he'd like to have had the chance to change if he could you know well there's an honesty to that where i think we all have these experiences that 
we hang on to and we revisit over and over again in our lives. And they're often what might seem inconsequential, but they actually carry a big weight on our psyche for years to come. And it's something that the other person that was involved in that scenario, they might not ever think of this because it didn't carry that much weight, but for whatever reason, just that confluence of the time that you were developing and how you were feeling at that moment, it just has a profound effect on you. And I think there's a, once you get past that initial moment of that, I think that you can start to empathize with this character in a way that's not immediately apparent that you would. Yeah. 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 That's no, it's a great take on it. And that's, that's what I was going for too. Just put, put very well by you. And, uh, (laughs) and, and yeah, I think like, I'm fascinated with that about moments in life where like sometimes something is magnified in the eyes of the person who it had an effect on. And the other person, no matter how much you carried it with you for 30 years, you talk to the person and they're like, Oh yeah, that did happen. Or they have no recollection whatsoever. And, um, and so, uh, you know, I, I liked playing with that a little with the idea that this was a, a magnified moment in his head that, uh, you know, uh, that presumably the other person in the story maybe barely remembered, you know? Well, you're clearly wrestling with these ideas of the downstream effects of our actions and what that amounts to an entire life or inactions at times and what that ends up building Mm -hmm. to in this. And, um, and I love films like this that get you into that headspace that um, you're thinking about kind of what does the totality of life mean? And that's what this character is going through in these last days that he has. And it's a, you know, it could just be a moment where it's a flash that all of this is existing in this one half second before you pass away. Is this actually happening or is this something that, is this what that moment before you pass into the light looks like? And mm-hmm. I kind of like it. I really enjoy spending time in that, in that space, that headspace for a little while. And it, it's surprising. There's not more films that do this because it's something that, you know, I think that very, well, a couple have tried, but really, I, you know, if I'm thinking like defending your life, did it really well in that yeah. way, but there hasn't been many in between yours and this one. That's a long bookend to have where to deal to kind of wrestle with this material. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. It's like, uh, the minute you start to write a movie that takes place in the afterlife, uh, which maybe isn't, seems like an odd thing to do. You start, you know, films start ticking off in your mind through the rest, through the years you spent before that watching movies thinking, well, I guess it's a little bit like, uh, you know this or that and i i thought immediately of defending your life while, while the early while i was in the early stages of writing it and uh, i so that made me try to make sure i stayed away from you know certain territory from defending your life same with heaven can wait which is one of my favorite films love it and, great movie uh, yeah and uh i had the same uh, you know sort of idea with that where it was like so that was perfect i can't better heaven can wait in any way so stay away from that and uh you know, and, and, you know, sometimes it's hard to stay away from those things because they're, you know, they do things a certain way because they're the right way to do them. And so, like, I, I always say, I remember my dad uh, watching Heaven Can Wait with me and, and uh, he just loved movie scenes like the, of that construction where it's like, well, this person can see this person, but that person can't see that, yeah. per, you know, that kind of thing. Um, it's a, a, a great uh, opportunity for farce and uh, I remember just laughing our asses off together to that those scenes particularly in Heaven Can Wait with Charles Grodin and Diane Cannon and, and absolutely and there you know there's a lot of play with who can see who and who can hear who Jack Warden and things like that and uh, and so it gave me an opportunity to play with those scenes too you know yeah and it's um and the the other one that I would think of kind of in that sort of I guess the afterlife canon would be 
um, wings of desire maybe, but that's the, the, and that's the one that everybody looks to and says, well, let's never try to make a movie that looks that pretty. Cause if that's what you're setting yourself up to do, you're going to fail. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But you can play with that idea of, um, cause again, that, that, you know, you, people often forget that's a Peter Falk movie and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And so yep. it's this movie that I think that people, the, the criterion crowd, they, they put, you know, pull out their turtlenecks and berets for that one. They forget how fun that movie is. And a lot it of is. those, it, there's, there's actual humor in there that I think people forget about. And I felt like your movie is well dealing with an existential crisis, <laughs> the highest order. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's still um, funny though. You're still oh, giving it space you. to laugh. Um, and Thank I think you. that a lot of that is in your casting, though, and writing as well. But the, the, your, if you have the wrong Michael, you're not going to pull that off, the, the humor there. Can you talk a little yeah. bit about the casting of, the, of Michael? Sure. You're absolutely right. That's, that was uh, from the beginning. Uh, we knew uh, my producer and, I, and my casting director, Lester Abkin, we, we knew that, that was, it was all going to come down to whether you can like Michael because he doesn't start off in the best of places. And that was the idea that he's supposed to have had his head twisted around by a breakup and, and supposed to be just in a bad place about relationships. And you get into dangerous territory, especially nowadays with presenting a character as, you know, uh, let's just say across that line into misogyny. <laughs> and, uh, and he, uh, you know, so you had to, we had to, we knew we had to have somebody in that role that, could be likable even if the character wasn't immediately likable and that you'd want to go on that journey with them and that it wasn't just going to be just about like, um, you know, bad boy redemption. Uh, and that it was going to be more like you, that you knew that this was a good person who was just in a bad place um, and had messed up his life in a lot of ways. Uh, uh, but uh, so finding the right actor for it, it was, it was a long journey. We went through a lot of different ideas for it and, Luckily for me, um, my casting director, Lois Drabkin, and my producer, Carmine Femigletti, were both aware of Andy Carl. Uh, Carmine knew him from Law & Order. Lois knew him from a lot of Broadway stuff and Law & Order. And she, uh, she bought me a ticket to go see Groundhog Day on Broadway with her so that I could see how amazing he was. And he'd already read the script and he loved it. I went there to see it. And uh, I was very skeptical that um, you know, a musical version of Groundhog Day would be anything that I would enjoy, and um, just seemed like, well, that's you know superfluous. What? Why would? Why bother yeah. to do it different? The original is perfect. Why bother? And it was beautiful and and profound and and moving. And um, I was I was utterly surprised and blown away by his performance. And I went from going there seeing if he was going to be right for it to going up to the dressing room after the show and just hoping we could still get him. You know? Wow. <laughs> That's great. That's, I mean, I could see that because he just, he has that thing right away where um, I, I don't concern myself with likability. I'm totally fine watching a movie with somebody that I actively dislike. Um, and, I, and I'm fine with that as long as they're interesting. And I was sure. interested in him right off the jump, even though if I didn't like the guy, didn't, didn't necessarily agree with his headspace. But you start getting to a place where you're interested enough to, for me, have an honest an honest assessment of him and if i look back at my own personal past in certain relationships and the way i've interacted yeah there's definitely misogynistic behavior in my past and i think that there's there's a reckoning for all of us that we have to deal think about the way that we've treated others and if anybody thinks that they're going to end up in a place of judgment of your life where you are above any questions about the any decisions sure. you made you're probably not being honest yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and we're all amateurs at the the love thing when we get into it. And uh, sure. we're all, it's, it's a learning process from the beginning. And uh, I think it's funny how, when you're in, you know, high school or junior high or whatever, if you have your first experience with it at that point, it all seems so incredibly important and permanent and it's, it's gotta be everything, but uh, you know, it's, it's obvious looking back quite a bit older now uh, uh, it's, it becomes obvious that like, well, those are kind of your chances to mess up and practice and learn what you, who you are and, and what you're even looking for. And so, uh, you know, yeah. So I think it's not surprising that, um, especially as, as guys that we, um, that we make mistakes and have no idea what we're doing in those young years, because, you know, there's a, there are a lot of mixed messages in, in the media and from our friends around us about how stuff's supposed to work. And I think, uh, I was trying to play with that a little bit that he was uh, you know, that he just hadn't learned. Um, I didn't want it to be a lesson movie either. Like, but no, I, I just not. I felt like he, he hadn't learned who he was and he, the, and who, and what he should be bringing to the table. He's all concerned with whether the girls that he's meeting are, are to his liking or to, you know, meet his test. And I thought like uh, the movie was trying to set up the idea that, well, you know, but what, what are you bringing to the table? What is, you know, what's your, what's, what's supposed to make her like you, mm-hmm. you know, what, what makes you worthwhile? And, um, and uh, you know, or just like, um, you know, worthy of the person that you may put, set your eyes on, you know? And, um, and so, uh, you know, that's why I thought like, I wanted him to be free to be, you know, unlikable at first and then just sort of have the natural charm and charisma so that at least you'd find him interesting. And then, that uh, you know, that slowly, hopefully, the audience would come with them on that on that little bit of a journey. Well, um, there's a there's a part of me that the I always push back a little bit when people talk about the first love, high school, middle school, whenever you found that, whenever you had those first experiences and discovered it, um, and that we kind of we dismiss those feelings because they're immature and they're thoughtless and they're not they're not seen through the lens that's, you know, or you don't have calluses, you don't have scars and warts and you haven't lived enough, but there's an honesty in that Mm -hmm. emotion that I think is something that we get to later in life. We come back to that because Mm -hmm. for me personally, when I think back at that, there was so much of myself that was concerned with the other because I felt like such a fraud and such a phony and I was needing to put on airs and put on a face to make somebody like me. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, granted, my motivations were, they were not pure by any sense of the imagination. Like, I don't want to be wrong in that, but yeah. few I teenagers was, have pure motives in that, in that few teenagers, I'd say, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. But, but I was a, I was an introverted, strange kid that was looking to find, you know, fellowship. I wanted to find friends. I wanted to find, you know, community. And so, and find a woman that I could share some of that experience with. And I think there is an honesty in the way that I was willing to morph who I was in that moment that I wasn't tied to any of the affectations that I was, you know, be it like the punk rock haircut that I had that week or whatever, I knew that that mm-hmm. was bullshit. And I was willing to let go of that to try to find a connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of what I think you come to much later in life. And the, I when you agree, start yeah. building up those calluses, I think those relationships you have that are the heavier ones where you're with somebody for years and you move in together and it doesn't work out. Those ones are almost more devoid in a way of that pure emotion to me. Um, there's a cynicism, sure, that if sense. that makes yeah. sense. Oh, it does. Absolutely does. It's a, and you, you make a good point. I think, uh, I think it's very true. And I think, um, 
you know, I, I think, uh, you know, we, we were, I think we're told uh, or we gain over life that feeling that we've, we've, we've always just arrived at that moment of uh, enlightenment. And, uh, and then you sort of find out, it's like, well, no, there were, it was many stages along the way. And it was many, you know, and you will probably keep on, you know, like I, I may have, I may have at some point thought I'd reached full wisdom at a, you know, like at 30 or then, and then you realize later on, Oh, actually at, uh, you know, then it's, you know, you've always, at least for me, I always feel like I was convinced that I really knew it. Like now I finally know what I'm doing. Now I finally got it together. And then, uh, you know, you find out that, uh, you know, nobody really has it all together and, and nobody, you know, you're not expected to know everything about yourself at, at, uh, at any of those ages. No, it's I'm not. Kind of a, yeah. Today's episode of the Following Films podcast is brought to you by Bookman's. So when I went into Bookman's today, after speaking with Harry, I wanted to look for Heaven Can Wait. I figured it was a shot in the dark, but I knew that there were three versions of it. So there was the Damamichi version that I'm not even sure what year that came out, but it was the original, I think. I, th- I think that's the original Heaven Can Wait. And then there was the one with Warren Beatty from 78. And then there was a remake that was done by Chris Rock called Down to Earth. And I was open to seeing any of these. I, I, all three of these would have been cool. Any one of these, if it would have been there after... Um, Thinking about hereafter, this would have been something I would want to watch. And so, fortunately, when I went in, the one that I wanted to see the most, the one with Warren Beatty, was actually there. Um, and this movie was directed by Warren Beatty, um, and it I think it was nominated for like nine Academy Awards. It's something that, in my mind, because this was on HBO a lot when I was a kid, and I think I took this movie for granted for a long time, that I didn't realize how amazing this film is, that how profound and beautifully shot it is and this is just a great film and this conversation uh, that I had for Hereafter reminded me of that and it was something I really wanted to revisit and this movie is phenomenal if you haven't seen it um, definitely do yourself a favor and check it out because Warren Beatty basically plays a uh, quarterback a backup quarterback for the Rams and he's about to go into the Super Bowl and then when he's riding through this tunnel um, he ends up getting into a car accident and passes away and so it's about the choices that you make in life and the things that are left unsaid and kind of dealing with that. And, um, he refuses to believe that his time was up and he decides to investigate what happened. And it's really interesting film. Um, and it's something that you should definitely see if you haven't seen it or you haven't seen it in a long time. Like I had since I was a kid, it's one that's definitely worth revisiting. And, that's one thing that I really, really love about every time I go into Bookman's that even when I have something very specific in mind or something general, I'm walking the door and there's a good chance that if I might not have the exact thing that I'm looking for, there's going to be something similar to it. And I might end up just stumbling across something that I didn't even know that I was, uh, that I was looking for. So whenever I'm looking for movies, Blu-rays, DVDs, VHS, I always go there first, first place I check out, but also a great place to look for vinyl as well as instruments. They have tons of them. I actually was able to pick up an acoustic bass a couple weeks ago, and I've been playing it almost daily since then. Um, but yeah, remember, Bookman's, they have your cool covered. Enjoy the rest of the show. It's an adventure. It's I'm a, not choose your own self- adventure novel the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, and the idea of like self-actualization, self-realization, I'm not sure that that's possible while exactly. you're while you're walking around experiencing life amongst humans. It's just, I don't know that we can ever 
reach that particular stage. And I think you're right that the idea is that we let go more and more. And that's where the wisdom is. It's that we let go of the things that we that are, you know, we stamp our foot on the ground and, you know, hit our fist with the table and saying, this is truth. This is my, this is real. I understand it. I have it figured out. The more you age, the more you let go of those things. And they feel childish in a way as you get older. I, to me personally, that's been my journey. Absolutely. In 10 years, Absolutely. I might be totally different. So I, I, I just no, know no, you're, right you're now. Right. And, that's, and, you, and you know now that you may laugh at your, what felt like uh, deep epiphanies and re, or revelations now may in 10 years be like, well, what the hell did I think I was doing at that? You know, but that's, yeah. that's how it works, I think. And, uh, and I have to take a, I have to take a, a pill sorry no no please go ahead but i just wanted to i love that you've made a film that this is the kind of conversations that will inspire though that it puts you in a headspace that most films normally don't do they're a little bit afraid to put you in that place that you are dealing with some pretty heady issues in a way that is actually very digestible this is an entertaining light film um, that you can find depth in it if you choose to. If you just want to watch it as a will-they-won't-they they romantic comedy, I think there's a lot to enjoy with it on that level. But it's nice when a film um, doesn't burden you with saying, hey, here's all these things that I want you to carry with you when you walk out of here. But you know, it's more of like, hey, here's some gentle suggestions. Think about these things. And is that something yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you remember to make an entertaining film at the end of the day? Well, thank you. Yeah, I tried. I kept thinking, uh, you know, it's like you yeah, it can't, it can't be homework and it can't, uh, you don't get to hand people a pamphlet of the ideas you want them to consider when they're leaving or when they arrive. And, uh, you know, although we, we printed the pamphlets though, it's uh, just in case, we, but uh, no, but, um, it was, uh, yeah, it, I, I kept, um, when I was writing it, which was a while ago, uh, I, um, I had a little note for myself all the time so that I wouldn't forget it. It just said, the uh, allegory is no excuse. Ooh, um, I like that. Like, um, yeah, and it was like, no, the story has to work as a story on its face and has to be entertaining. And, you know, I knew what I wanted it to be getting at and what I wanted it to be saying. And so um, making anything happen or anyone say anything or any turn of the plot or of a character occur because of how it would fit allegorically um, was, I just ruled it out. I kept thinking, you know, it always, you know, write the story first, uh, make it human, make it, uh, you know, make it work if you didn't know what the thing was trying to say. Um, and so that's, if I mentioned that just because it's what you're pointing out. So it's gratifying to think that maybe we, you know, together with, you know, my, the cast and the producer and everybody that the editor and that we did maybe achieve that, that was, that it's at least entertaining on its face, even if you throw out the, the overlay of its themes and stuff, you know? Well, sure. And I think that that's the case with any movie, any film that it, um, to me, the ones that last are those ones that have a little bit more substance to it. Um, but you talk a little bit about, because I don't want to kind of skip over how beautiful this film is. It looks great. Um, Thank you. you talk about the, the look of it, your cinematographer, your lighting for it, because this is a, a great looking film. And often you're doing things that are, like you were saying with your opening sequence, you are doing things that have an interesting juxtaposition that are clearly very intentional with the way that you're framing a shot, um, you know, or the way that you're lighting it where you'll have something that looks very beautiful, but it's actually quite tragic and sad, or you'll have something that 
is really light but feel heavy at the same time. So it's you're constantly playing with that back and forth with the look of oh, it. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. That's that's a great that's a great thing to hear too. That that uh, comes through. That that's thrilling to hear. Um, and I was lucky in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, you'll hear me say how great everyone I worked with on it was, but I'll, I'll say Christopher Walters, my DP. Um, you know, I've worked with a lot of great DPs over the years and different things, but like, uh, he's really like a, a, a brilliant sort of mad genius at work, perfectly sane, but I mean, it feels like yeah. a mad genius in that he, he will go to any length to try to make sure that it's exceptional and beautiful. And, and we kind of agreed from the beginning about what the look of it would be and what, how high we wanted to aim it. And so, um, you know, he's he's a terrific artist with the camera. And uh, one of the bonuses that I didn't even know going in was he's very experienced with visual effects. So we basically acted as our VFX supervisor, too. And so, you know, it's an oh, hi there. <laughs> oh, this is my my five year old son just coming in to say hi. Hi, hi there. Hi, buddy. I'll be out in just a few minutes. OK. Right, uh, Not quite yet, but we got it. We got about a half hour left. <laughs> no worries. No worries at all. But, <laughs> Yes, thank you. And so um, you oh, have uh, sorry, no, no, you, Chris Walters. Yeah, he just he knew how to make sure sure that he integrated those um, uh, the visual effects in a very organic way into the look of the movie. Without maybe we tried to never make it look like. And now the effect, and uh, and so that cool. I think gave it an organic beauty. Or you, if you even think about the um, the way that you shoot the opening sequence versus the very end of the film, and you have what is almost it's shot like an office where it's just this procedural it's very boring in a way now it's dynamic because you literally have people flying in the background but even that is done in a way that seems like this is mundane and it's mm -hmm. in this very like a very grounded sense where it feels like this is um an industrial film almost there's it's slightly there is an ethereal quality to it but then when you revisit this that at the emotionally is it's represented on screen because of how the visuals are pushed up so much. And you think of like how there's this kind of almost, um, I, I'm not sure how to describe it, but things are almost fuzzy around the edges and it gives it like this quality that feels like angelic in a way. And you can see like enlightenment coming and it's in the same, it's in the same room, but this is really just changing the visual feel of it that you don't even notice um, unless you're kind of removing yourself from those two scenes and watching it and thinking about what the actual impact of it's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. Again, you put it very well, and and uh, the observation is 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 great. And I think that uh, yeah, one of the things we went for is we wanted it to be a, a very an otherworldly bureaucracy, and um, and and to feel you know not so much the quintessential heaven, but just to feel like you obviously had moved to a different realm, but that it was mundane to the people in it. Um, that, uh, you know, certainly, you know, Scarlett isn't particularly amazed by where she is and, <laughs> you know, the, the situation she's in at the beginning is, is, uh, simply another one of, you know, thousands of times that she's done this. It's, you know, I felt like it should feel somewhere between, uh, DMV and a doctor's office, um, Nailed it. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> the, at least her interrelationship yeah. with him is that, you know, that, that, uh, you know, she's, you know, she's supportive. It's like when the nurse in the, in the emergency room is like dealing with you after you've been, you know, injured or something there that, you know, they've got a routine. They kind of know what you're going to be going through and when, and, uh, and so they've gotten very used to what it takes to talk you through it. And so like, uh, 
uh, I wanted her to seem like this was, you know, just person number 380, you know, that day. <laughs> and, uh, and she nails it. She's great in those, in those moments that she's here. And it's, uh, it's kind of a side of her you normally don't see in that way. Um, thinking of her in that sense. And I'm wondering what made you think of Christina Ricci in this role? Cause she, it's not something you'd normally see her doing. And I, I think that her, uh, comedic ability is often underused and she does some kind of real small, interesting, subtle work here that um, is really effective. Yeah. 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 She's, she's really a brilliant actress. And, and, um, and it's funny what, what made us think of her. I, I'd always, I'd always thought that the role had to seem uh, otherworldly and timeless. And uh, hmm. I, I, I wanted somebody who didn't seem like they were, you know, of any particular era and, uh, didn't seem, uh, but also didn't seem like they were of the same world as us. And so we, we looked at a lot of, uh, great people for the role and, and there were several that also had that, but, but there's something utterly unique about Christina. There's something, uh, you know, like she has a great look, but she also, uh, you know, she, she feels like she could have been in any era and, um, and, that's why like she's even, you know, the, you know, the hairstyle may look a little bit modern, but also like the, you know, the outfit, I always felt like it's, it would have looked beautiful in almost any era that you can think of where women were allowed to <laughs> not wear hoop skirts. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it could have been a 19, you know, fifties noir and that right. outfit wouldn't have looked out of place in that you could have changed the grayscale on this, done it in black and white. And it would have looked like, you know, on her side, it would have looked like something from yeah. that era. Yeah, or she could have been in Blade Runner, you know? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Ooh, yeah for sure. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so when will people be able to see the film? It's just in a couple of days now, right? I think. Yeah, Friday. 2030? Friday. Excellent. Yeah, Friday and is it VOD release that it's. Uh, yeah, it'll, it'll, be in some, it'll be in some theaters, but it'll be all, all over North America and like 40 other countries on VOD and some places on, in theaters, but in VOD. Uh, you know, basically uh, in, a, in a hell of a lot of countries I couldn't name off the top of my head, like Russia, cool. the Middle East. Oh, wow. Weird. UK. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. It's a, yeah. Ecuador. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very odd list. Greece. Um, thrilling yet odd, you know? <laughs> of course. Yeah. Um, what is the best place for me to send people if they happen to be overseas? Um, Cause there are people that listen to this that are in, countries you would not expect sometimes. So where, uh, where would people to the best place to send people to find out more information about the film? Um, it's funny. I could only answer really for North America um, definitively, but I could say that like uh, probably the equivalence of these in, in other countries as well, but uh, in, uh, in the, in North America, it's going to be, you know, iTunes, Amazon, okay. Redbox, Fandango, uh, you know, all of the, the usual uh, every, VOD. All the, yeah, all the VOD, like, you know, uh, Spectrum, Cox Cable, uh, probably forgetting, you know, all the all of those, all of, everywhere you can get, like, a video on demand, basically. Excellent. So, uh, local, local VOD. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. I thoroughly enjoyed the movie, and there's not a lot of films that I come across that um, I could watch with my kid in the room and they'd be comfortable or I could watch with my wife who we tend to have 
pace that's not appropriate for any of our children. My son goes through our movies and he pulls things out and he just constantly, like last night he pulled out a, a copy of Zombie, the Fulci movie. And he's like, he, because it has the the thing where you turn it back and forth and it shows a different picture depending on which like, is this appropriate for kids? And he's like, ah, oh, and he just puts it back. Lenticular. So. Lenticular, is that what you mean? Uh, yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. That, there you go. I learned something today. I had I had no idea what that's was called. So. <laughs> my girlfriend and I are obsessed with lenticular uh, stuff. I pull that off my wall right now. You know, like, oh, there, yeah. There you go. Exactly. So, I have like, I a, could pull like I could pull six of them off my wall without. Uh, <laughs> so then, if you were releasing your film, would you? If you're having the lenticular <laughs> for it, would you have here after? And then faraway eyes kind of go back and forth between the two titles. <laughs> I, I wish I could. I uh, I thought you were going to say, would I have like, uh, you know, would I have sort of Michael alive and Michael dead or something like that? But uh, yeah, like where you see him perfectly alive and then you see him, you know, bloody and on the stretcher and stuff. But uh, but I like yours better, like switch titles. You know, it's, uh, or even, you know, I always thought there's li- meant to be a little tiny bit of a, not a pun, but maybe a play on words in here after because, you know, he's here after and it's the after. hereafter so that would be the other lenticular idea i would have was like hereafter as two words and then as one word and oh that would work but then you have the hereafter as one word that's another film so right, then that, exactly. that, that matt damon yeah, yeah but i guess they probably wouldn't get that deep where it's if it's not the way that you're looking at it straight on you have to turn it to make that happen so you're you really yeah. having to do some lifting to make that work yeah i think yeah, lawyers would probably not come after me for like i don't know in in the lenticular space it's you're infringing our copyright <laughs> At the very least, you would be setting precedent with the yeah. lawsuit. So. We, we would fifty percent lose the lawsuit. I think, with, you know, for the part where you see it that way. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for taking the time to do this. I appreciate it. I really enjoyed the film, and I hope there's going to be something on the horizon because I enjoyed this. And I want to see more from you, man. This is a right. hell of a film. So, thank you. All right, uh, uh, you're welcome, and thank you too. Thanks for watching the film. Thanks for wanting to do this. Thanks for what you're saying about it too. Well, I think you're going to get a lot of response like that. I People are going to enjoy this once they start to find it. I think you're going to, there's a need for films like this. And so you're definitely filling a void. It hasn't, it's an itch I haven't been able to scratch for a while. So thank you for that. Well, that's, uh, I wish I could put that on the, on the poster. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good pull quote if we could have it. Yeah, that, that's all I've been aiming for is box art. That, that's it. I just, you know, just keep, so I can add a couple more that's like, Hey, your dad did something. There it is. I didn't make a movie. I failed at that, but I said yeah, something yeah. about a movie once that somebody liked. <laughs> Time enough to figure you out. Time enough to write this down Wish me luck, give me hope
always crack.